0: On today's episode of Family History Ron, are memories private or are they public? What order does Ordinance Ready look for ordinances in? And why are temples keeping cards? All these questions and more are going to be answered today. Stay tuned. I guarantee you it's going to be a good one. <clears throat>
1: right there. That's better. Because it just sends out more to the that to page. Okay. I think we figured it out. Um, I'll wait know. for everyone to join us. See if somebody
2: can join us and let us know if it's working. You have to go to a different place. I do
1: know how to know. You
2: have to go to a different place to start the dang thing. I do see that.
1: I see that. Thank you. Just asking.
2: Is this one up on there?
1: Yeah, it's right here. See? Mark. are Live. I think it's trying to open up in the because it's
2: better in the Hey, can you hear us okay? I can see and hear you. All right, good. all right let's let people join we're sorry for the technical difficulties but they moved where you start your live and it's just hard to find now used to be just right there to push the button okay um welcome everybody what's today 18th of july we're getting preparing here in utah for the 24th of july that's a little state thing uh why don't you bring up the questions there let me start with one
1: You want to start with a question? Yeah. I have anything to follow up on from last week? No.
2: I mean, I I can look, but let's go ahead and start. All right, hold on, I gotta... All right. Welcome everybody. Let's see if I. I have a few lists of questions I haven't answered yet that I'm still working on. It's been He's pretty been hectic.
1: A... He's been preparing for a few different presentations for any of you that maybe have yeah, been thinking I, uh, about some of these other ones that are coming around.
2: I'll be at Family History, History BYU Family History co- Conference, yeah. which is a week and a half or so, mm-hmm. presenting there. And then I'm doing a fireside, mm-hmm. and then i am be at Education Week. So I've been hopping on that. So why don't we go – well, people are joining. Why don't we go ahead and start with the first question. Right. Okay.
1: So Lynn says – I have two questions. First, a question about the portal at the Family History Center concerning newspapers.com. Newspapers.com was gone for several weeks and now is back again in the portal, but wants a username and password. Do you know how to access newspapers.com through the portal, or do I now need to log in?
2: Yeah, I was unaware that it was back on, and I was unaware that it's asking for Username, username and password. password. So I'm going to have to go find out about that. Uh, the guy that would know that was out sick the last couple of days, but uh, I'll ask one of his guys and see if that's working as they're expected. And what I mean, I wouldn't even know what to tell you which uh, username and password to, to use. So, not sure. Yeah, let me go find my Facebook thing.
1: Right, there we go, okay. Um, Let me know when you're ready for question number okay. two.
2: Newspaper.com, uh, back on uh, Center.
1: Family c- History Center portal. Center.
2: Uh, but ask for username and password, okay. Okay, what well, was the
1: second question? Hold on. That suddenly just disappeared. Hmm. Uh, and her second question was oh, it was about why do, when FamilySearch sends emails, why do the hyperlinks or the, the buttons you click, why do they open up in Edge instead of Chrome? That doesn't make sense to me. So she gets an email from Family Search about an ad server. If you
2: get an email and you click a thing and it opens Edge, that means you have Edge marked as your preferred browser on your operating system. And so it opens it. You need to you know, undo. I can't.
1: There's no undo, apparently. It's right there and it's grayed out. <laughs> so apparently I can't undo. Hmm. Oh okay. Um the next question is from Carrie. Carrie says when viewing images on family search, is there a way to temporarily turn off the index at the bottom of the screen? It takes up too much room and obscures part of the images. It's annoying to have to click the X every time I want to move an image. Move to a new image, excuse
2: me. I'd have to go look at that screen. I'm not familiar with that. So where did she say she was? She
1: says, when viewing images on FamilySearch. I wonder if that was on a person or uh, in their gallery. She does not specify. Okay,
2: And you see a what? An index at the bottom of the screen. Okay, it's not there at the on the gallery. Let me look at a person. See if I can see it. Index. Or is it or you're talking about she said memories
1: for sure? She did not say memories. She, oh. s- she did not specify a place.
2: Yeah, this I, I need more information. This is probably it may be a, a record or something. You're looking at the record. And uh and you're seeing an index on the side. If anybody's if, can recognize where that's from and that she's talking about, I appreciate it. Index historical records, that's what it is. And it's the index is uh, getting in the way, right? Yeah. Okay. Can go look at that. Not being very helpful today.
1: No, you're not.
2: And she says when she was viewing an image, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, according to this one, indexed historical records. Sure. An image of a yeah. historical record. Okay, we'll go look at that. Okay. Paul asks What is the order of priority of names given through ordinance ready?
2: Well, there's an article out there. We'll um, make a note to post that or something so that you can see that. If Somebody has that article. You can tell me. But basically, ordinance ready goes the very first place it goes is your reservation list. The second place it goes is it goes to shared. Um, let me get an eraser here goes to your shared reservation with temple so it goes to your reservation list and looks then it goes to ones you've shared to the temple and looks and if it satisfies it there it brings it back over and provides them then the next thing it does is it looks for related on temple list
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Then it blocks the tree. And then it goes to an ancestor in temple six or seven. Yeah, that's it. So it goes, and this kind of smashed a little bit, but you read it probably. It goes to the reservation list first. Then it goes to your shared reservations with the temple. So if you shared some of the temple, we'll pull it back. Then it goes to a related person on the temple list. So some other relative shared it with the temple, and so we'll pull it out of there and give it to you. Then it walks the tree, walks your tree, looking for green temples in the tree that it can reserve. And if it still can't satisfy the request, then it goes to an ancestor in the temple or on the temple list. So it just goes, picks the, it's supposed to pick the oldest. The ancestor has been in the temple inventory the longest that matches the language that uh, your temple can do. So that's the order of
1: precedence. So there you go. Okay. Sue asks, Source Linker no longer allows individuals to be created in a family from a source. I can only link a source to existing family members in the tree. Previously, I could create new family members from the source. But the last few weeks when I try, I only get an indefinitely spinning wheel. She provides an example. Then she says, for example, gives me a link. Mm -hmm. Uh, Henry Fisher and Martha Price were already in the tree. With their daughters Matilda and Cornelia, I could attach the census entries for them, but for the other children, I only got the spinner. I've checked with Git satisfaction and the Family Search community, but I don't see anyone else mentioning this problem.
2: Now, we need to know what kind of browser you have and what specific uh, census you're looking for.
1: 1880 census. Okay. I've got actually, she gave me a literal URL. Like, okay.
2: Give me the number. Um, I want the pigs. No, I want the number of the roll on that sheet, and I'll
1: go. 385.
2: Look. Okay, I'll go look at that. Uh, that that requires more specific investigation. 385. Yeah. And what that does is, then I can go look at that particular example, try to reproduce it. If it does, and I'll send it over to the to my team the team that does um, the source speaker because they should be able to they should I I heard a little bit of this uh, and get satisfaction only just a little tiny bit and then it kind of went away so that made me uh, feel like it was a problem that's been resolved I'll go dig in a little deeper okay
1: Jared asks if I post a photo to memories of a living person is it public or private while they're still living I'm hearing several different explanations from different people.
2: Okay. So number one, all memories that you upload to FamilySearch are public. Okay. Now the person has to know the URL to get to that memory, but they are public. Uh, if the if you tag a person, so what you're really doing is you're tagging. You're drawing a circle around someone's face. And you're saying who this person is if it's tagged to a living person then we hide the tag from being seen by anyone else that way if somebody sees the picture they may be able to see the picture because it's public but they can only see tags of deceased people they don't see any living tags so uh, and this is the way it's currently designed uh, we are considering having a private uh, tag for memories, but, uh, but that's not there. And, and there would have to be certain cases when the private tag could be put in. But right now, all memories are public, and we only just hide the tags and the names of the people that are living in the picture.
1: Terrific. Okay. Carol says, have you ever thought about putting a direct link on the person page to the person's memorial on Find a Grave? Uh, no. Um,
2: <laughs> no, because not all memorials would be at Find a Grave. So if you have, you can attach, um, yes, guess we don't have a Find a Grave, it's more, uh, no, we have references to Find a Grave. Mm-hmm. So you can attach it as a source if you want.
1: If you're looking for a more direct solution, I might suggest putting it in the live sketch.
2: Yeah, but there's no links in there, URLs. They'd have to copy and paste it. But it's a solution. Yeah. You can also stick it in a source and say this is the memorial on Find a Grave, and then they can click the link in the source and jump over. So that's what several people have done. Okay. All right. Let me see. I'm not getting any questions. What was that do?
1: You weren't replying to somebody. What was I? Mm-hmm.
2: What are you looking for?
1: I just thought I saw a question up there, and it was, but we already answered it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Andrea asks, is there a list of examples somewhere of what or how things should be labeled in the other information section? Huh? Uh, there's a whole bunch more I can read, but uh, I said I'm trying. I'm wanting to clean up as well as have some consistency in my tree. Um, if there's not a list, how would you suggest labeling pioneers? If
2: you're gonna la- if you're gonna mark somebody's pioneer, use a label service, not in the other information. Although if you want to use the other information, you can. You just have to do other. You'd have to do a custom custom um, field. Yeah, well, was a custom fact and put in there was a pioneer, but, yeah. you you know, or an event that says they were a pioneer from this year to this year.
1: So if I may, I think the solution, Andrea, might be a, a blended option where you maybe tag them as a pioneer. And I see you put two examples, one that was, you know, an overland pioneer and one that immigrated from England. Um, maybe if you wanted to do use different tags, you could do tag them as pioneer, tag them as, you know.
2: Well, there's labels. There are labels. You go to the label right. section and you can add Overland, the Overland uh, Pioneer stuff to them. Right. You have that ability to do that.
1: So maybe it's that combined with some digestible other information, right. some of the details you've added here, specific dates and stuff like that.
2: Okay. Uh, let's see. Someone has uh, – um, love the historical records has started the edit edit feature we will be able to change more than just name soon i have a great grandmother who is listed as a son i would love to change yeah we will eventually allow more things to change the reason we started with name was because that was the most common request where the name wasn't put in properly or was abbreviated or something so uh this is our first uh, workings into that's been released to everybody you can only do it on for those who haven't found it you uh, go to historical record and you click on the image and then you'll be able to see the the data from that role of a person and then you can actually go in and edit the name and change the name and it it depends that name to the currently originally indexed name and if others add name to that then uh, then they'll all be they'll all be shown and searched is my understanding uh, says uh, Colette. Says, "Can you explain the name editing on records that you are it- attaching to people? Name editing on records that you attach to people. Well, I mean, you could certainly go if it's in a family search source and it's one of the sets that we allow. Not all not all indexes or images can be edited right now. This is just the very beginning." So there's been some who go in and say, well, I don't see the edit button. Well, that one's not available for editing at the moment. Um, So if it's on a source that that you've attached, then you have to go and click on the link to go to the source information, then click on the image, and then do your editing. And it won't change the source at all. We're currently, the source does not currently store the names or dates that are in there. It will show up. That's actually a very interesting question. I haven't looked at that to see if it will show up uh, on the uh, data that they have. I think we're only showing date right now of the event in the source. So can we get another fact for immigration? We're working on that. We've actually put the field into the back end, and we're looking at how we would be exposing that. It was a miss. Sorry about that. It's obviously something that we needed to have. I thought we had it in there already, but when we looked a second time, it wasn't there. So we just missed it. So they're working on it. I don't have any date or time when we're going to do that, get that finished, but it is in the system. We just need to expose it in the user interface. Uh, Another question here. I have a dad who adopted me and I have a birth father. Is there a way so that when we do the relatives around me that I could check both ways? Right now, it's only showing the relatives for my adopted dad. I think what it shows, uh, the way this works, there's no way for you to control the path that it takes because putting options in there is just a significant, will be a significant burden to the system right now. Uh, So it just does the shortest path between two people. So if it's shorter to go through your adopted dad or shorter to go through your biological dad, I think it would...
1: Random, you, you feel like it randomly chose which direction to go. So, provided your, your biological father is in there, it's not necessarily actively choosing not to go through that. That's your right. That's father. right. If your, yeah, if your father's biological is in there and he has
2: a line and stuff, and the person you're looking at is related to him, it should go through that person. If the relationship is closer, if the relationship is closer, fewer hops away.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what's the next question there? Uh, Shelley asks, will there ever be a way in family search that if you go to a cemetery with your location services on that it would tell you what your relatives in your tree are buried there and take you right to the headstone using GPS? I was playing with Find a Grave and Billion Graves and found that if I searched a particular person that I knew was in the cemetery, the GPS would take me directly to the headstone.
2: Yeah, we don't – we currently don't have that capability. We do have the ability – to tell you what cemetery and and where uh, and how far away you are from that cemetery. That's actually available in the mobile app today. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. You can go into the mobile app. This is the Family Tree app. Mm-hmm. And you can go to um, into the More menu. And you find, uh, I think it's Matt my ancestors actually. Mm-hmm. You go to Map My Ancestors, and it will show your ancestors. And you can search for a particular person. And uh, press person hold your ancestors to review your relationship. So I just go, Lexi. Press and hold. You didn't I, read want, your I didn't want the relationship. Okay. <laughs> and I think it has a way to go to uh, death. And then you go to death, it will tell you you're three miles away.
1: Let's see you go to death.
2: You can click on it, and it'll tell you. It'll give you directions on how to get to her cemetery.
1: No, that's where she died.
2: 14, yeah, that's right. Know. You had
1: to go to burial. So scroll down. Oh,
2: scroll down. You pick burial underneath the person, and then it'll give you directions in the cemetery where she was buried. If the
1: cemetery is listed as her burial site. Right. If right. you only have a city and state underneath the burial site, it's not going to help you. Yeah. You have to have the actual cemetery input.
2: Right. But I don't think they – I'll have to look. I don't think they share that uh, GPS data f- with us.
1: And You just have to consider the monumental task of digesting that level of detail and information, right? Because GPS has got to be down to, you know, within 30 feet kind of thing. You know, you're going to have to have every single person mapped in a cemetery, yeah. which takes a lot of work. Well, some of these find a the
2: grave and building graves kind of do that. But That's all they do. I don't think we get all that data, mm-hmm. so – uh Nancy, are you presenting in London, and I am not presenting in London. was not invited. They had some other people going and and they chose them because they had some other uh activities they wanted those particular set of people to do and we're limiting of course the number of people that are traveling. We want to send everybody over there to london um
1: and here 's the secret for you he doesn't uh-huh. like to travel very much. Uh-huh.
2: See, uh, Denise, when I've completed temple ceilings recently, FamilySearch tree shows a blue box indicating there are other parents. I know for certainty there are no other parents, and this was originally searched. Is this a bug in the system? Denise, I'm not aware of this thing. I don't know what blue box you're talking about. Could you send me me an email, ron at familysearch.org, with the PID information about this one and what you're seeing? Then I can go take a look at it but i'm not aware of anything like that thanks uh yeah larry it, it, yeah we don't provide ability for them to choose which one i ought to look and see if there's a, let me write a note here and see if we could if we're keeping track in our system that does the graphing, if we're i don't know if we're keeping track of preferences so let me uh hmm,
1: that would be interesting yeah so you could just switch your preferences right you let want me to see if we do that
2: here? if we don't maybe that's something we can consider i'll put a thing in here that's says, an interesting solution should we honor preferred parents in uh really in relationship
1: graph it like it would be a simple way to work around the problem that they talked about.
2: Uh-huh.
1: right? Because if you wanted to see who, uh, how you're related to somebody via biological or adoptive, you could just go in and change that preference. Before. Right, right. It's to be a simple solution. Yeah. Okay, what do we have next? Keith asks, is it possible to find a relationship between two people using only PID?
2: Nope. We currently don't supply that. Keith okay. also phone. asks, I <laughs> tried
1: to upload a document to Memories and received an error, saying that the file was too large. It was a, PF, a PDF of a memory book compiled by a member about her father. Will there ever be a lift on the limitations? If not, is it okay to simply put a link to a PDF document and upload that to Memories? Uh,
2: putting a link to a PDF document and uploading what? The link? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you could put a link on someone's... On some person,
1: you still have to find some. you have to You'd have to, store the, you'd have to create a
2: source and mm-hmm. say this source is a reference to the what? Did, what was it? Uh, memory it was
1: a, It was a family history book.
2: A family history memory book. book and memory book compiled, and then put the URL in there and send them to your Dropbox or Google Drive or yep. whatever. That's perfectly fine. The limit for uploading is fifteen megabytes, and uh, it's not that we have a hard time storing you know it's not that we're limited in our space storing this stuff the real reason why we've limited it to 15 megabytes is because people uh, as we've done testing when people upload things we find if it gets greater than 15 megabytes they start thinking it's broken or not uploading or taking too long and so they cancel it and it's just a problem so maybe when we have faster internets or a different mechanism uh we could have a way to do it a little bit a little, a little bigger interesting or there's other ways you know maybe i don't know i'm gonna need to noodle on that i'm wondering maybe if there's a way that you can upload it at a family history center or something and then we reference mm. it but we'll see
1: More controlled
2: yeah well something yeah. that's a little got people there that can watch it and right Reliable help you connection. help you in good connection okay right. uh, yeah larry yeah blue box appears in ordinances and you have addressed it before all before although i don't remember why it was happening seems something like uh, seems like seems like something with duplicate ordinances blue box okay then if it's the blue, blue box. if it's that thing on the ordinance tab of a person and it's big giant blue box that is about sealing the parents and uh, this was uh, this uh, was a bug and we do have another bug but uh, and we're working on it they got to fix it they thought they had it fixed today but they didn't this is a there are cases when a ceiling to parent is done and so you got you know ron and his dad cleon and mother lexi mm-hmm. and you have a ceiling of those those three and uh, what will show on the screen will be the ceiling without the parents So you get the blue box, and then you get the same exact ceiling again with the parents on the same ordinance tab. That's a bug. That's a problem. We uh, reviewed it today and informed the team that it is a bug. And so I sent their manager down the hall to go talk to the team and get get their understanding corrected on uh, the fact that it's a bug and go fix it. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. All right. It'll get fixed. We just have to... Give it a little time to do it, although it's better than it was, right? We were seeing stuff all over the place, and that has all been fixed and cleaned up. Yeah, Linda says you could uh, you could cut your book up in multiple PDFs if you wanted to upload. Part them. one, part
1: two. Part, yeah. Part
2: 57. Do, yeah, you could do that, too. <laughs> yeah, and Jesse, that's what we call them, ghost parents. That's kind of what everybody started calling them, the one where you have the duplicate in there.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Okay, Lori. The last few times I have been helping members, as Lori, recover their accounts by using their membership numbers, we get a notice that recovery by membership number is not available. Is is this an occasional problem or not available at all? Um, today, yeah, I didn't know that they turned that on. Of course, I don't go and try to recover my password very much. Uh but uh LDS, so there's two systems involved in our registration accounts. One system is a family search system, and the other system is LDS.org or church of Jesus Christ.org system, uh formerly known as LDS Accounts. And LDS Accounts or Church of Jesus uh registration system has decided that they are not going to allow recovery using a membership number. And I didn't know they turned that on. I'm not. I don't interact with them on uh, too much on registration thing. That's another person, another peer of mine. But I knew it was coming. I thought they weren't going to do that until after we got. We're going to separate ourselves. The the Family search account registry will end up end up being independent of the Church of Jesus Christ one. Uh, you'll still be able to use. Um, the same account in the other two, in each of ours, but we won't be uh, tightly held to the hip. And when we do that, you'll be able to do password recovery on uh, family search. But LDS, but church Jesus has chosen to stop allowing that recovery by membership number. So uh, you'll have to go through a different recovery process. Um, and I haven't I haven't tried it. I need to go try it and see if I can figure out how you can do that when you don't have anything but the membership number. Probably you have to do the email thing or something like that. Oh, somebody's suggesting a shrink, a compress might shrink it down enough to get uploaded, but if it's a whole book, I think it might be tough.
1: Yeah, especially making me think of memories. It's a yeah. remembrance book. It's probably going to have pictures of it.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, Chrissy. You said uh, youth need recovery by MRM, but what's the funny thing is lots of youth don't register properly because they don't have the MRM. Yeah,
1: so they so register and don't put it in. They register and don't put it in. They're non-members. Which, then. by the way, is, uh, as, a, as a missionary, I remember we used to have people that wanted to get into Family Search and start doing it, getting all excited, and they were on track for baptism. And I'd say, well, let's get your membership record number first. Yeah, because it's it's kind of difficult to correct uh, accounts that don't. Yeah, we've improved Mm -hmm.
2: it, but it doesn't regenerate your tree yet. And that's the thing we need to do is try to regenerate your tree. Mm -hmm. We have that capability. I don't
1: know if this is a. Yeah, it's
2: it's not. It's turned off now. Okay. So let's skip it. Okay, not rolling.
1: Okay. Uh, Kara asks Have you thought about in memories having one dedicated field just for grave markers and another one dedicated field just for the obituary?
2: No. Okay. I don't know what field they're talking about. Because you can put in the title. What most people do is they put obituary in the title, they put uh, grave site or okay. whatever. Although we are thinking about doing, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, Um, thinking about doing what we call, what do they call them? Topics. They call them topics. We're looking at that. And it's sort of a way, it's like if you think of it, the, the quickest way to figure out what it is is kind of like a hashtag, except you don't put it in the text. You go to a memory and you say, Here's the topics about that memory, and it'd be things like you can make up some, we'll have some system ones, but it's stuff like uh, testimony or um, missionary or, you know, war or something like that you can do. And then you can go search using those topics, and we'll bring you back memories, your memories or memories in the system that are about that particular topic. So... I think that'll be very useful. That may be similar to what you're trying to do with obituary and so forth. So that might help there.
1: Okay. All right. Get ready. This This is a big one. Okay. I don't like to work on really early ancestors, but because England has – oh, by the way, this is Pam. Sorry. I I forgot to say the name. This is Pam. Okay. Pam says, I don't like to work on really early ancestors, but because England has such good records – I decided to look at some. Mm-hmm. I came across a John Hall, and Family Search had put in several instances back in 2012, that an alternate name was John Collins. Looking a little further back, I came across a source for a christening of a Constance Martin. That source clearly states her parents attached to a John or excuse me, uh, clearly states her parents' names as Gideon Martin and Margaret. However, the source is attached to a John Goodson and Anne Sewell. There are alternate names of Gideon Martin on John Goodson's details page added by FamilySearch in two instances and by the ever mysterious unknown 4470317 in other instances. And for Anne Sewell, there are alternate names for her, Margaret, or Miss Gideon Martin added by FamilySearch in one instance. I am leery of changing things made by FamilySearch. But I found independent sources for each of John Hall and John Collins, so I did change those. These completely different names are really frustrating. What is going on here? Did people really use completely different names like this, or is this just sloppy family history work? How sacred or scant are changes made by Family Search? Um,
2: well, first let me explain about Family Search. If you're going around, and, it's, and several of you know this, but this is. Uh, this is good for for those who don't if you go into a tree person and you go look at the change log you go down or just at the vitals or something and you see something that says 2012 and it says Family Search, um, then what is really happening there Family Search did not contribute that data what we did is when we transferred data from the old System, which for us old timers was called NewFamilySearch.org, <laughs> even though it's not new, it's gone. Actually, we've removed it. NFS. Yeah, NFS. Uh, we took the when we took the data from NFS and moved it to Family Tree. We um, we initially put the name of the person who contributed the data into the per- into the person page, and then we started getting phone calls from people saying. Somebody's hacked my account because I was not on the system on that day when you say I changed that data. And so we had to go back and re migrate those things and change all of them to be, say, Family Search so that people didn't think that their account was uh, hacked. So if you see something where it says Family Search in 2012, Family Search did not contribute it. We just transferred that data from the previous system, NFS, into uh, Family Tree. And then again, about uh, Three years ago, no, it's been about four years ago. <coughs> Three or four years ago, we had to do another move of all the data into our current system we have today. And there may be some extra uh, family search contributions in there. Because the rules of family tree were different than the rules of the previous system. The previous system, you could create a person in the tree without giving it a name. And that's that doesn't work for... Family. That's a no-fly. That's oh. a no-fly in family tree. You got to have a name. You got to have a dead or alive. Um, that? That's all you got. Name and dead or alive. Yeah, you've got to have that and sex. Oh yeah. Either male, female, or unknown. Uh-huh. You had to have those three elements, or we wouldn't allow you to create a person in the tree. So when we moved it from the prior system into this other one a couple two or three years mm. ago, any of those fields that were missing. We used information from the previous system, like oh, this was a father; it was put in the father position or the mother position to say male or female, or if it was a child and had the male or whatever then we would do it. Or if it didn't have a male, we'd make sure it was marked unknown. So, so this was all contributed by people. Uh, either in the old system it was ancestor file or or IGI, and that was all put together. Uh, so. Uh, and another thing I'd caution you is if you're in the early English records, there's not always a lot of good information on uh, relationships because and everybody had the same name. There's a billion of John's, a trillion memory, Mary's Margaret, and there's just and all the same names are used James. over and over and over in early England. they always use the same names. Yeah. And so I just uh, encourage you to be cautious. you feel free to change it if you believe you have correct information and sourcing to prove it, but be cautious just because uh, early English records can be deceiving because they're, everybody, a lot of people had same names and relationships are not always recorded in some of these, uh, some of these uh, records, okay. Uh, it says, can you add an ability, can you add the ability to add a memory source to relationships? You should be able to add any kind of source you want to relationships. You just have to go create the memory. Can't you
1: just add a memory? Can't you just create a memory right there? <laughs> My gosh! You're the guy I'm supposed to know. Well, I haven't done that in a long time,
2: <laughs> man. I'm just saying, why would she ask if you could if it's there? And I would have expected it to be there. Yeah. So I got to go to a relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm going to a relationship here. Mm-hmm. And I'm clicking on the relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I go down here to search, sources. And I go add source, add a new source. And then I can go down here and.
1: You could link to anything, right?
2: Oh, you're right. It doesn't show uh, you can do a memory source. Okay, I'm going to put that in my list. Congratulations. Yeah. It only does uh, URLs. So let's see.
1: You know what I love? I love that since we were looking at your computer screen, they almost undoubtedly got two people on that this
2: Yeah. <laughs> Memory sources. That seems like a hole there. Memory sources on a relationship. Yeah, it does. Okay. Then, good catch. Thank you very much. Good catch. Good catch. All right. Go, Jesse. Uh, let's see. Complete book can also be added to book section under search. Yeah, if you have a book, uh, you could go uh, at Roots Tech and a few other places. Uh, there's, you can call Family History, uh, Family Search, or the Family History Department, and we can get you in contact with somebody to be willing to scan that book for you and put it into the book section. And then you can put a URL from that person into the book section. That would be great because that way you know, we're, we're making sure that's preserved. Uh, in LDS.org, under Settings, Security Settings, Recovery, Communication Options, you can still put in a check to allow recovery by MRN. Ooh, that is a good – I didn't know that, Carol. I'm going to take a screenshot of that particular – of that thing right there. So Carol just told everybody away for you. Well, though you'd have to go and set it up before you forget your <laughs> username and password, I would suspect. Yeah but that's a good cat that's a good little way around that thing let me see if i can get that i'm gonna go try that out okay
1: I'm lock your phone all right okay what's next okay susan asks are there any copyright restrictions for placing documents such as Death certificates or obituaries in the memory section of Family Search. Is citing the source, such as a vital statistics bureau, library location, or online newspaper, enough? Um, there shouldn't be any copyright on death certificates.
2: No, there's not any copyrights on death certificates or on it? Obituaries. obituaries, usually not, because they're in the newspaper. Right. Now death certificates
1: um, are public records.
2: Death certificates are public records. What was the other one? That's it. Oh, yeah, there shouldn't be any of that. The newspapers, there could be depending on how old or young the newspaper is. Um, what I do for an obituary is I'll go to the you know the website of the of the place they were buried or whatever, and if they put up an obituary, or I'll, or it's in the paper, and I'll take a picture and then I'll OCR it. I'll me I'll turn it into text.
1: Uh, by the way, OCR means optical character reader, and so yeah. what he's trying to say is you take a picture of it and you turn convert it into, into, text. into text. So you basically rewrite it yourself.
2: Yeah, and I put it in a story. So I go into the mem- memories, I add the picture of the person, I, I copy and paste the text of the obituary into their, into it like a story, right. and that's what I use as obituary. Then I, I tag it to the... You that
1: circumvent person. that problem. Yeah, sure. and it's...
2: yeah The words aren't copyrighted. It's just where it's published. So. And an obituary, I don't think it's copyrighted anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't... I wouldn't think so. Yeah. No, Uh, I don't think it is. And the other records are public records. Okay. What's the next one?
1: Stephanie asks, can we organize photos by date in the memories of a person? I see how to do organizing in albums, but not memories.
2: Um. No, you cannot order them right now. Uh, They're planning on providing a feature where you can order memories within an album. uh, And then – I've suggested to people that you should make sure you have your titles and uh, dates and places filled in for each of your memories if you can, Mm -hmm. because I believe that uh, one of the things I'm going to be talking to the memory teams about, they've got some work they need to do right now, but I've told them already I expect them to be able to sort by date or by place uh, in the memory stuff. Okay, Marilyn, you want me a reminder to talk about Temple Cards in Utah? Uh, No, I wasn't planning on talking about it unless somebody asked about it. I was surprised that I didn't get more questions about it already. But uh, since I read your comment, I guess I've uh, let let the cat out of the bag. Good job. So uh, for those of you who aren't in Utah County, we're not talking about in all of Utah. uh, The church is, the temple department is piloting not returning temple cards uh, to patrons when the ordinances are done, when they're after scanning. So let me, t- let me uh, explain some reasons why that's happening and why it's being piloted. It's uh, being piloted in uh, Monticello, Utah. That was the first place because it's a small temple and so they could study it and research it and see how it worked. And then a few months later, several months later, We uh, are piloting it now in Utah County, which is the Provo Temple, Provo City City Temple, Mount Timpanogos, and the Payson Temple. Those temples are now uh, keeping the cards. Uh, So you come in with your temple card. uh, You go do some ordinances uh, today. Uh, Before this was changed, before this uh, pilot was turned on, then uh, they would the, what would happen is the ordinance workers would you, would collect cards and then race over to the recorder's office. So you need to be aware that some of these temples are pretty large and they have hundreds of people per session or per acti- ordinance activity. and that this is happening every you know 20 minutes or something. Yeah. And you get several hundred cards and they run over and pop them on the temple desk. And say so you gotta hurry up and get these done, man. People are changing their clothes. They wanna get out of here in the next fifteen minutes.
1: They're gonna want their And that's back. and
2: they're scanning like mad. And then here comes another one from another session. Because some of these have three or four sessions going every twenty minutes. And so they're getting another pile, you know, five minutes later after they started the last one. And so they're rushing, and because of that rushing and and having uh, temple workers running around in a temple trying to hurry and get the cards from the session down to the office and then back over to the credenza to hand out. It's caused problems. It's caused frustration. It's resulted in long lines. In some temples, people have waited 45 minutes to a couple of hours, I've heard, waiting for those cards to be recorded. And uh, it became apparent that this was a problem. And as a result, uh, the cards were not always being properly recorded. Because which is of, a serious, problem. which is uh, which is the most important thing to do at the temple when you do the ordinance. It's extremely important that it gets recorded so that uh, it is marked done in in all the places in the world and other world, otherly parts of the world where it needs to be done. Although I suspect the other the the spirit spirit hey, no. world, world doesn't have a a bookkeeping problem yeah. like we do. So to help alleviate those problems and make sure that recording is proper and make sure people aren't frustrated because they've been waiting for an hour to get their card back, we are piloting the process of not returning cards. And the temples that have, oh, Oakland, that's another one. I'm sorry, I forgot. Oakland Temple is also uh, not returning cards. So lots of questions come out. I've explained to you why. Because it's uh, hard on the workers, it's difficult for the for the office, the temple recorder, to record all those in the time frame that is desired so that people could leave and go home and stuff, or go out to dinner or whatever it is they do after they go to the temple, that, uh, that we're going to do this new process. And how it's going to work, the reason why we believe this will be better, is that um, when the temple will... When they have time and they're not rushing to get it all done during the in-between sessions that are happening every five or ten minutes, uh, then they'll take their time, they'll have several people in the office probably recording all of these uh, cards. They're going to manually bundle the cards and save the cards away for a while. Uh, They're still determining, this is a trial, uh, we're still determining how long they keep the card. Uh, you should receive a message in the messaging system of FamilySearch when that's recorded. We are we are getting some reports of slowness that uh, it may take a couple days for that to show up in the messages. Although when we got some examples, we went and studied it, and uh, and from what we could tell, it was recorded. We got the message, and it was recorded in the temple database that same day, within an hour or less of the time that it happened. But for some reason, the message isn't getting sent out, and so we're trying to examine that. Uh, and then, so you should get a message. By the time you get home or within 24 hours, you should see the message that it's completed. And then uh, what the temple will do is they will hold on to those cards for a period of time. Once we determine how long, we'll know better. But they'll hold it for a certain period of time, and then before they destroy the cards, they're going to re-record every card. So essentially what that means is every card will be recorded twice and it won't create two recordings. It won't create two data, two sets of, uh, of years and dates or temples. It's just going to, when they go to record a card, the system will say, beep, this has already been recorded. And so they're good to destroy that card. They'll go to the next one so forth. So we believe that this will significantly, if not completely, eliminate uh the recording errors and things will get recorded properly. Um, we're also proposing and so there was plenty of discussions and get satisfaction about this in the Utah area as you would expect when you uh, when you tell a large set of people that this is happening and they're accustomed to the need to have these cards to prove as evidence that uh, the ordinances were done. Um, <clears throat> if by the way you you do this and you're in Utah County and you don't see the message within, you know, two or three days. I would, I recommend, and I've talked to the temple department about it. To contact, you should contact the temple recorder and say, I went to the temple on Wednesday, and about in the morning, and I did this person. Here's the PID that I did, and it has. I haven't seen the message. It says it's recorded. They they can go dig it out of their pile, and they can uh, go re-record that card. That's why they're going to keep them for a while. And then uh, we, in our, in my discussions with people in Utah County through get satisfactions and emails, those who sent it, and uh, just verbally with with people when they ask me, uh, such as yourselves during this particular live, um, we we thought that one way we could help mitigate the concerns on not having a printed card as evidence was to provide. Uh, we're offering a proposal to provide a completed list a completed temple list that we would build for you Uh, everybody would have it you could go into the completed list these would be ones that have been recorded so they were they did get recorded Uh, because once we saw the recording problems then then people were concerned about uh in the future when those those ordinances may get lost or hidden because of other merges and things And so we're offering to do this uh, completed list and we'll print the cards from there, completed cards, and we'll use the data as it was at the date of the printed card originally so that you get exactly what you would have if you were able to keep the card. Now, the recommendation from the temple is to come only with the cards, only print in the card the ordinances you plan to do on that visit. So if you're planning to do five baptisms and confirmations, then only print those five cards with baptism and confirmation on the card. And then when those get recorded, you can go home, then you can print your initiatories. You're going to go do the initiatories for those same people, just print the initiatory. And uh, and that's what probably 99%, you know, 98% of the people do when they go to the temple. They tend to do a particular ordinance or a small set like baptism and confirmation together, or initiatories by themselves, or sealings, both sealing spouses of their parents. Now, there are occasions when people want to go do uh, the whole card, um, one visit. You know, the baptisms, then initiatories, then endowments, then sealings. And that's acceptable as well. All you need to do is, when you arrive at the temple, you should uh, let the ordinance worker, an ordinance worker, know that's what your intent is. And they will provide you instructions on how you can do that while you're at the temple that day. Okay? Each temple may have a slightly different approach, but uh, they will be providing a mechanism. They have the mechanisms and options that they have to be able to um, help you get that card finished and get all those ordinances recorded properly and allow you to do that whole card while you're on your visit. Okay? Now... <clears throat> any let me see let me scroll down see if there's any more any questions about that that popped up that was quite the answer yeah well I wanted to be thorough so that uh, I answered all questions will tapers be told the temple cards will not be returned before the session okay so people the the plan on the temple and I believe they're doing this now although I haven't been a participant of that when we went to the temple last it was before they turned this on so it was last it was early in the month. Um and this just turned on like well three or four days ago. But I did get the email. Everybody in the temple district, as they turn it on for your temple district, will get an email. Um if you provided us an email, the, the Family Search, if you've got a good email in familysearch.org, you will receive an email announcing that this is coming to your temple on a particular date. And it will also include some instructions and some Frequently asked questions like what I did and, and answers to those questions. Okay, so yeah, if you've got a, a good email that's working on family search, you will be notified uh, before they turn that on at the temple. Oh, does Dallas do it too? They must be doing it on their own then, Larry, because <laughs> that, that one isn't officially on the pilot. But temple presidents have leeway, and uh, it wouldn't. It doesn't surprise me. I've heard of several temples that aren't returning the cards for the same reason. Um, has there, uh, Lee asks, has there been any recent restriction on collections on partner sites recently? I'm seeing a lot of not available with your LDS account message, Find My Past, and Ancestry English records. Yeah, I'm not aware of any of that, Lee. I will go hunt that down. Maybe I'll take a picture of that one. not aware of any particular issues, especially with Find my past and ancestry English records. I am not aware of any of that. I will take a picture of that and find out and answer the question. Uh, why not tell them to copy them before they hand them in so they that they have a copy for their records? Well, the issue, Kathy, is um, when where are they copying them and when are they copying them? Certainly, they could a person could print the card twice and take one to the temple and have it stamped and then write it in on the one at home or something. Um, I believe that you might have an option in some temples where you say, I want a copy of the card, and they'll make a photocopy for you and give you the copy back if you need that. Um, I can't remember that. I think that's what they said. You'd have to ask them. But there's no way for them to make a copy before they hand it in uh, because they haven't done anything. The card is the same as it would have been before they went to the temple. So what people are looking for is that stamp date on the temple card that says that ordinance was done. Because in the past, there has been uh, times when ordinances are on a person and it's not the person they think they should be on. So and the correct help correct that is uh, knowing when the ordinances were done because we can search by ordinance date and temple. Janice says, "What happens when you want to do the ordinances in the same day?" I just explained that one. I anticipated your question, so I started. We will need to print three copies of a card. Will we need to print three copies of a card? Uh, um, I don't know why you would say three, other than you're saying uh, one for baptism story, one for baptism and confirmation, one for initiatory, one for endowment. And uh, the answer would be, yeah, you will eventually. I wouldn't print the next card until the previous card has been recorded. That's how they know that the previous cards, the previous ordinances are done. Is because you get it recorded, the badges of confirmation recorded, then you print the card. It'll have the date and temple uh, printed in the B and the C slots. So that's how they're they're going to look at that and to know that those ordinances were done. Um, prior to the next ordinance you're trying to do. So that's how they're going to know the previous ordinances are completed because you have a card that's printed that has those dates in there. Um, yeah, people are liking those ordinance uh, emails. Those are nice or, or messages. They're actually messages. Uh, yeah, and uh, Kathy, sorry, this is a, a sort of an LDS thing. Uh, Thank you for the explanation. Okay. Uh, We started late. Let's go ahead and do one more question over here.
1: Okay. Jenny asks, why are the record hints on the phone app always more recent than the record hints on the computers? Hints on my phone always seem to be from the late 1800s, whereas hints on my computer seem to be from the 1700s.
2: Well, um, remember that the phone only brings down to your automatic you know automatically you can you can force the phone if you go into the menu you can force the phone to bring down six generations of your family and it's probably likely that you don't have anybody within six generations that's in the 1700s so that's the the hints that are brought to your phone are related to the people that are stored on your phone okay the only way you get it to store it on the phone is if you click to say bring six generations down or you walk the tree uh, walk your tree expanding out further in the past as you do that that data is cached also on the phone is downloaded to the phone and then the phone is only bringing hints for the people that you have on your phone not for the ones you haven't looked at yet so that's the difference between the mobile and the tree is on the tree when you come there, it doesn't have to it doesn't bring anything to your computer. So everything is in the cloud, everything's in the internet. So it'll show you all of those hints. So you just need to expand out some of your lines, going back a little further, and then you should start seeing hints for those people if there are any available. Yeah. <laughs> Marilyn, I'm fine if you quote me. If it doesn't sound like it's a good quote, like, you know, I'm saying something kooky, let me know and I'll uh, I'll correct myself or I'll send you an email with the good quote and so you can share that. Uh, can you discuss any of the results from the experiment? What experiment are you talking about? <laughs>
1: makes it sound, sound like you're with Area 51. That's right. The experiment.
2: Yeah, what experiment are you talking about, Lee? We call him John. Call him John, so it's... <laughs> Anonymous. Yeah, I'm assuming you can... you're talking about the shared family group experiment. Is that correct?
0: I don't, I don't know, Henry. So least...
2: Respond. You just post again and tell me what experiment you're
1: talking about. In the meantime, we'll answer one other question. here. Okay. Jenny asks a second question. <clears throat> when will you start to flag hints that are tree extending so we can put a greater focus on populating the tree with new people?
2: Um that is a very delicate question, it's not as simple as you think. We do not necessarily want to single out and only give out hints that are adding people to the tree, because that's not the only reason for having hints. The reasons and purposes for having hints is to accurately document the people in the tree, and that's important to have a good, good documentation, and evidence and proof that that person existed with those vitals and that those family relationships. So that's why we're doing hinting, and that's why you get hints on people that already have some sources on them. That just proves more fully that the data you have in the tree is correct, and that's very important. And we are supposed to be as accurate as we can, but you know, you re- I, I know uh, some feel much more strongly about that than others, uh, how I say is you should be accurate, as accurate as you can. Remember, the world is imperfect. The memories are, in, are, you know, your memory is imperfect. The records are imperfect because everything on this planet is imperfect. And so there will be plenty of things that are not perfect, but our request, our job is to do the best we can and that includes looking at all available sources about that person and make the right choices and the best choices for the data they have and prove those choices with references to those records. So today, some of the hints uh, will result in a person in the tree and some of hints won't, but they're all important and they all should be consumed and used and, and used as evidence, so. Uh, That's why I say it's a difficult thing, and we currently have no plans right now to single out those types of sources at the moment. Okay. Yes, invited experiment via the Tree app. Yes, that was called. So uh, recently, just for those who may not know, what we're trying to figure out is how people want – people have said that they want to see each other's living. They want to see living. And they want to work together, and we want you to work together as families to do not only your living uh, memories, but your deceased as well, right? We'd love to have families all go to the same place and see pictures when relatives add information and add stories about something, add a new child because they had a child, and everybody celebrates, the whole family celebrates and feels really connected because they're seeing all these events and memories and pictures and stuff of everybody. Uh, and those memories get preserved and they're attached to those people and doesn't get lost unless people remove the the memories from them and Then when they die all of those memories are on them and, and are available for future generations So people have asked for those sort of things and we're we did two tests. We just completed our second uh, Experimental test on how people would use these things. We don't know what the name is going to be I've been calling them shared family groups the concept is that uh, you, a person who wants to collaborate with their family on both uh, memories and messaging, to-do lists, um, and living persons in the tree, that they go create a shared family group, and as a result of that shared family group, you get an area in the tree that is private to only members of the group and then you can invite your family or whoever constitutes your family to this group and invite them to add living into the same place and then that's where you do your collaborative work with your family you go to that living area see some living update the living add some memories you're willing to share with your relatives through that facility and then continue to go back and work on your lines help each other through their lines through the spouses lines you could all work together as a family to to help everybody in your family, including in-laws and, you know, daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws and all that kind of stuff because they're part of your family now. And uh, we had an experiment. It was only done on the, the mobile and iOS uh, tree app. I think we had uh, 600 to 800 groups somewhere around there. And uh, we allowed families to do this, and then we monitored the kind of things that were people were doing. What did they do most? What did they do least? What is it? And then we did a survey afterwards to ask how people liked it, what things they liked what things they didn't like. And we're doing this very carefully, very deliberately to be able to figure out uh, what we should build for everyone else. Because this is not going to be, this is going to be a significant development effort and we want to move cautiously and do the right things because it's going to, to consume a significant amount of time. From the engineers that we could spend on other things if they're more important or more valuable so that's what happened i don't have the results of that uh the the todd who's the is one of my product managers who over that he's still collecting the data and he'll, he's preparing a presentation and stuff to, to present to me on results and things like that and then we'll go from there so that's what that was about okay hey I want to apologize again for our technical difficulty. We're going to try to write that stuff down so we know where to go next time uh, in the Facebook to be able to start up a live that actually sits on the page instead of somewhere else. We really appreciate uh, coming and joining us. We hope this has been useful for you. Um, and please join us next week because that's when our next one is. We didn't do it last week because that was Ceres and I' anniversary. It was our uh, 39th year anniversary feels weird to say that for so long. Thirty nine. I don't feel like I'm that old, but I'm that old. And uh, we're going to do it next week, okay, so that we get two in this month. And uh, you take care, and all of you have – thank you for all you do to help everybody else. We had a question on the Facebook that said uh, on Facebook post, and if I mentioned wrong, what do you like to do? And I was amazed at how many people just love helping others find their family history. And as I, I said this last time, I'll say it again. Please try to encourage your family to do some family history, not for us, but for them, because I believe there is no other activity. Uh, Well, I can't say that. I believe that family history is one of the greatest activities to give you most touches with the Spirit, Hmm. the most often and the the most touches. And uh, if you can get somebody who's wayward, they probably might be interested in family history, and then they will feel the Spirit when they learn about their ancestors and that may change a heart. So thank you very much for all you do and we will see you next time. Anything you wanna say, Garrett? Bye.
0: That's gonna do it for us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Family History Ron. So what can you do to support us and helping us with our goal of sharing family history with the world? Well, let me give you a few things you can do right now. First, you could head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a five-star review. By boosting our reviews, it puts us to the top of the list, which lets our podcast be seen by a whole new group of people, which means more people, more listeners, and the more people we get to educate. Second, you could leave a review on the podcast and let us know what you love about it. It always helps us know what to create more of for you. Third, you could share the podcast with those you know who love genealogy and history as much as we do. Those three things are super simple. You could do them in five minutes even, and it would help us boost and share our knowledge with those around us. Lastly, if you want to catch Ron live, because he's always way more fun, when he's doing hand actions and drawing you crazy pictures on his whiteboard, (laughs) then head over to Facebook, search Family History Ron, and follow or like the page. We go live twice a month. It's always on a Thursday, and they start at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We can't wait to see you there.